All right, so we've been doing a study in Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 2. We've been going through 16 through 23. We're going to wrap up the second half of uh, this uh, section of text. And um, uh, so after revealing the deceptiveness of the false teaching in 2, 8 through 15, Owen went through this. uh, Paul shifts his attention to the practices promoted by those who are spreading such false teachings, right? This section of verses and 16 through 23 that we're reviewing is divided into three subsections, each which begins with the critique of a set of practices, which are dietary and holiday practices, which we talked about last week. And today we'll wrap up the last two and talk about ascetic, uh, which is a strict self-denial and envisions and then legalistic rules and regulations. Okay. So um, now, uh, I mentioned last week as well that there's a big debate on whether, uh, you know, if this is strictly Jewish or pagan background that Paul is addressing here. I feel that's a combination of both, and you'll see that. uh, You saw that last week in the way I taught it, and then hopefully you'll see that again this week. It's a combination, and the reason why I say that is because now you have, you know, Jew and Gentile are now together, right? You have both Jews and Gentiles coming into the church, and we are now one in Christ, and so now you're always going to have... A, uh, a battle of cultures, right, until you figure out the, uh, what God says and kind of what we need to do, what we need to keep and what we don't need to keep, right? And typically nothing, but uh, um, we're, we're just creatures of habit. We, we love our culture. We love our heritages. And so sometimes we try to bring that into the church even though we are compromising. So we see that here, and we're not supposed to compromise um, and so, uh, anyways, we'll look at that today, and let me see here. Um, so let's see. So now the the final section of chapter uh, two. I brought this up last time. It serves both as the conclusion of this section. It's an introduction as well for for chapter three, verses one through chapter four, verses one. Uh, we get to verse twenty. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, uh, like I mentioned, we split this into two parts. We ended at 17, and today we'll go through 18 through 23. So we have a lot to cover today. We went through a lot of detail. There will be some places where we slow down and kind of talk about uh, the details there because they'll be important to us, and there are some places we'll just go really smoothly and quickly through because they pretty much are self-explanatory. So as I mentioned, this is one of the uh, toughest passages in Colossians. Some claim that in the New Testament... And um, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. There's a lot of things that are dear to my heart. One thing I will try to commit to is not to get um, down rabbit trails. I'm going to try to stay true to the text. There's some things I'm going to want to talk about and get into detour that I wanted to, but I chose not to because I wanted to stay faithful to the text. But I may, if the Holy Spirit leads, go down a rabbit trail today on some of those. (laughs) Hopefully not, but... We'll talk about those in a minute, and some of you who know my past will might recognize, oh, he's getting ready to go down it, but uh, I'm going to sustain myself, hopefully. All right. So the emphasis of, uh, of Colossians is the sufficiency of Christ, okay? So all we need is Christ, sufficiency in Christ. You've heard Owen beat into our minds, our heads, in Christ, in Christ, in him, right? We talked about that. Um, and so again, that is the, the continued theme through Colossians, the sufficiency of Christ. Okay, and also it's the emphasis on living only by faith in Christ so that we can have confidence that we will not fall into the warnings. We saw the warning, warnings in verse 
uh, chapter 2, verse 4, says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, right? They will trick you or into it. And verse 8 says, so to it, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ, okay? So Christ is uh, the ultimate authority. We, you know, we, we look at Christ, we look to him, and it's all we need. He is all sufficient. All right, so let's go back and reread these passages. And we'll start out in verse 16, and I'll read all the way through the end of the chapter. Therefore, no one is to judge you in food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, going into detail about visions he has seen, being puffed up for nothing by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments uh, grows with a growth uh, that is from God. Verse 20 if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Do not handle, nor taste, nor touch, which deal with everything destined to perish. With use, uh, with use, which are in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, which are matters having to be sure a word of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and self-treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Okay, so let's go ahead and we'll do just a quick review of the first few verses. We went, or first couple actually, we went through 16 and 17 uh, last week. So therefore no one is to judge you in food or drink. Remember, we're not supposed to be judged um, by those things the, uh, or by festivals or by new moons or Sabbaths. Those things no, no longer exist. Those are shadows we see in verse 17. Um, they are shadows and um, we are no longer to, we are no longer bound to them. Remember, the law was given so that uh, the Israelites could be different from the Gentiles. The law was not given to all men, right? It was given to a nation. Now, the moral law, of course, was given to all men. It's written in our hearts. But the law was specifically for the Israelites so that way the Gentiles could be drawn into them. They could see that they were a holy people. They could see that they were different. But one of the main reasons that the law was for was to prepare God's people to go in and worship him, okay? They were to be a holy people and clean, okay? And that was the main reason was so that when they came to him, they would be holy and pure, okay, in the temple, um, the tabernacle. Um, so verse 17, which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance, again, belongs to Christ. Okay, so the dietary laws, festivals, sacrifices, and the Sabbath day worship were all shadows. They do not exist anymore. If anybody tells you that they do, that is called legalism, okay? That is not... Um, uh, we do not need that to be complete in Christ. We do not need that to get closer to God. Okay, those were things, those were shadows that represented something to come, right? Like a picture of me, it's a picture of me, that's it, but it's not the reality of me, right? A picture of you, same thing. That's what shadows did here. So now we're getting ready to go into verse 18 through 19. We're going to look at the second critique, and then verse 20, we'll look at the third critique. <clears throat> so again, let's start in verse 18. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels. So this verse, again, like I mentioned earlier, is one of the most debated texts in Colossians or possibly in the New Testament. This is the second critique of the section of verses 18 and 19. Verses 16 and 17 are a critique of dietary and holiday practices. Um, Here today we have a critique against ascetic practices and visionary experiences in verse 18 through 19. And I'll explain what ascetic means here uh, in a little bit. So, again, as in verse 16, we started out uh, verse uh, uh, in the beginning of the verse. It says, so again, let no one, okay, again, no one is talking about false teachers or those who have added these teachings to their own faith, okay? The Apostle Paul is not going after the teacher nor the, the, the young Christian. He's bringing them all together, bringing them to equal grounds. He says, let no one. He's talking to everybody. As I mentioned last week, he's taking, again, the shotgun approach, right? He's watering it down for the false teacher, but he's raising the bar for the young believer or the struggling believer. But he's talking to everybody, okay? Both who are teaching the false teachings and those who are trying to implement them or considering them. Um, so again, this is a shotgun approach rather than being specific like we saw in verse 16. Um, now the word defrauding, okay, is likely a synonym of the word judge like we saw in 16, okay. Um, it has the idea of judging or ruling almost like a referee or an umpire. This also enforces the warning that we see in verse 8. Remember that one? It says, see to it that no one takes you captive, okay? He's warning you against that that uh, that uh, warning. Or he's warning you against that that uh, issue of taking you captive into through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So he's warning us that we do not, um, we're not tricked or judged into it, okay? All right, so now, this section, let no one keep defrauding you of your price, can be better translated. Some of the commentators uh, who are a lot better at uh, the, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew than I am, in fact, I'm not even good at all in it, so I trust some of these people. So, But anyways, uh, uh, one of them says that it can be better translated this way. It says, do not let anyone disqualify you for the prize, okay? The false teachers are pushing Uh, that if one does not follow their self-made religious rules, then you are disqualified from and robbed from the prize of fully experiencing Christ's Christ's experience. Did you catch that? So self-made religious, I mean self-made religion, is that they're trying to disqualify you from from, uh, the, the prize of Christ, okay? Experiencing Christ's presence. These people at best would be declared or considered a second-class Christian by false teachers. So what they're saying is that um, uh, you know they're trying to lift themselves up, and we'll go into more detail about that. And anybody else who cannot be lifted up, then they're considered second-class Christians. Okay, they're better than you because they have a special connection with God. But in reality, the Colossians need to be assured that only the peace of Christ should judge or rule over them. Okay, uh, we see this in chapter three, verse fifteen, and we'll teach that. To, in the near future, it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, so what is this prize that we're talking about here? It says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Anybody know what that prize is? It's Christ. That's right. 
It is Christ. When we live our Christian walk strictly on Christ, we should not, I mean, we should let no one disqualify us by anything other than the standard of Christ himself. If somebody is coming to you and telling you, hey, you aren't doing this, but it's not the standard of Christ, then don't worry about it. They can't disqualify you. If they are comparing you to the standard of Christ and confronting you by it, then okay, that's a different story. But if they're bringing their legalistic ways, their laws, uh, their man-made religions, don't worry about it. It's not an issue. Do not allow that seed to be in your mind to grow and, and you begin to doubt yourself and what you do. Well, maybe I do need to do this or maybe I do need to do that. So, again, the false teachers are wrongly disqualifying people by means of at least three criteria in this section, okay, which are not based on Christ-centered faith. Now, here we have, uh, now these three are all part of one thought, okay? It's an, it's an, indiv- an individual, individual identities. Um, can you give me a bottle of water if you don't mind? I keep stumbling over my tongue. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and so anyways, the false teachers are wrongly disqualifying people by means of at least three criteria which are not based on the Christ in her faith. It says, now these three are all part of one thought and individual identities, okay? But linked together by an order of experience or false worship. This little section of verses here. Uh, This type of verse, uh, worship, man, this type of worship came from the pagan mystery cults, okay? And we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, This verse here. All right. This next section, I'll wait for Owen. Sorry about that. I knew better before I got up here. I was like, you know what? I drank the last drink of my coffee, and I think I'm going to be struggling here. (laughs) Thank you, boss. Okay. There we go. All right. So anyways, uh, like I said, now these three are all part of one thought and individual identities, okay, but linked together by an order of experience or false worship. This type of worship, it comes from the pagan mystery cults. Remember I mentioned earlier that you have both the Jewish and the pagan religions coming together. You have two different cultures, two different people coming together. So the Apostle Paul, from my perspective, is dealing with both the Jewish and the pagan perspective. Here, um, I think he's addressing the pagan side. Last week, we talked about mainly the Jewish side. And so we'll look at it here real quick. So the next section of the verse says, by delighting in self abasement okay self-abasement is voluntary humility the act of behaving in a way that makes one seem lower or less deserving of respect okay which could be expressed in severe treatment of the body linked to fasting sometimes these people will uh, link it to fasting um, to prepare for the ne- uh, yeah and the reason why they would do this in these um, mystery cults was to prepare themselves to, to be ready for the worship of angels, okay? In some Jewish extra-biblical texts, right, Asenus reveals humiliation, okay? What, he, what they say here is, as pre, she's ta- he's talking about somebody, he says, as preparing herself for a visitation of an angel who eventually announces that God accepts her. I'm not sure what she was asking for specifically, but it says, in addition to, to Joseph, uh, her husband, and Asenus, Fasting was likewise preparatory for heavenly temple visions in these same texts. 
things Asineth did was, here's the types of things that she did to show humility, right? She was trying to show um, this voluntary humility, this self-abasement. And some of the things that she did was she wept, she beat her chest, she fasted, she took off all her, her jewelry, her ornamentation, right, uh, uh, wearing sackcloth. Sometimes when she would even lie down in ashes, again, she's trying to draw closer to God, right? Showing this humility. Uh, she would give her dinner to the dogs, and then she would even pull hair out of her head. Okay, all this was to appear humble or spiritual. Like, man, she's sacrificing, right? It was all an external visualization, and this was what they did in some of these pagan mystery cults. Okay, this was not, again, not, it's not in the Bible it's just some of the things that I've uh, researched on the pagan mystery cults. And so that's what they would do. And then, and the worship of the angels is one who chooses to grovel, right, at angels and worship them to come face down before them. Um, one commentator, uh, C. Arnold, says, Perhaps the errant teachers are so obsessed with speculations about angels, for example, on how they might provide protection that they are either neglecting Christ or putting Christ and angels on the same level thus having an angel centered faith instead of a Christ centered faith is what that's idolatry right and so um, David Powell in his commentary says in the Asia Minor mystery cults were more two stages of initiation and I think this is what Paul is getting at here although it doesn't say this but I really think that this is what Paul is looking at. He says, an initial entrance into an oracular grotto, right? So you're preparing yourself, right? And then it says, a, clima uh, a climatic entrance into the inner sanctuary where the presence of God resides. So you see this, uh, this, this connection here where you prepare yourself and then there's an initiation. Um, so there's always an initiation and they entered into their sanctuary. It's kind of what they did in these pagan religions. Um, there are, there are also, I have three other non-biblical inscriptions. These were found about 100 years after the book of Colossians was written, um, but was written uh, that, uh, yes, that describes the pagan cults, pagan mystery cults. Yeah, so 100 years after Colossians was written, there was these, 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 uh, these notes that they found about these pagan mystery cults. Okay, and again, the, t the point is the initiating and entering. So the first one they found, the earliest inscription describes men who came to the oracle for consultation and concludes by saying these men were initiated and then they entered, okay? And then an another one they found, another inscription at Kleros speaks of a man named An Androcos who received the mysteries, okay? which is the first stage of initiation. And then he entered into the temple where this, you know, uh, second part of uh, their, their religion. The third inscription describes two men who after they were initiated and they entered, they consulted the oracle. So again, we see in these pagan mystery religions where they are preparing themselves and then they are entering into the temple. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is, is looking at here. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, okay? You delight in self-abasement and the worship of angels. So it's kind of, it's a one-thought process. It's not separate. Even though we have commas there, it's, it's a, 
he, it's a it's a one thought uh, point. It's not uh, three different points that he's trying to go through. Then he says. So anyways, I put here, the reason why I bring this up is, again, to try to get you to understand what Paul's referring to in this passage. This type of initiation and entering does not exist in the Bible. I mentioned that to you guys. Um, but Paul is, uh, is not going strictly after the worship of angels. Okay, It's not what he's trying to, I feel, go after, although it is wrong. We'll talk about that in a minute. I think he's going after the pagan view of tabernacling, the way they do it to approach their gods. I think they're trying to bring it into the church, okay? Just like the Jews did with their Sabbaths. Now the pagans are trying to draw this into the church. So uh, Paul is not going strictly after the worship of angels, but is after the whole process on which the pagan mystery cults practice, okay? Um, As I said last week, I believe there's a Jewish and pagan slant to the background, this here would represent the pagan stain that I, that I mentioned last week. So you have both the Jewish and the Gentiles coming together, and their cultures are mixing and clashing. Now, <clears throat> uh, again, so like I said, don't get me wrong. Angel worship is wrong, okay? We are not to pray to them. We see in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. We are not to pray to angels, um, angel worship is also forbidden. You look at Matthew 4.10. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then also you see the angels worship God. Okay, they worship God. We didn't worship them. In Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. And then also the angels themselves rebuke John in Revelation. If you go to Revelation 19.10, it says, Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow slave with you. This is the angel talking to John. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the witness of Jesus. It says, worship God for the witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We see in Revelations 22, 8 and 9, it says, I, John, am the one who was hearing and seeing these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. Again, an angel talking to John. Do not do that. I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with, with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. So the worship of angels is forbidden. In fact, the angels themselves tell you, don't worship me. Okay, But yet, we still see people do this. We pray to angels when they themselves tell you, hey, no, I'm just a fellow slave with you. Um, another false humility uh, that we see they practice with angels is to to pretend to be too humble. So what they would do as well is they would say, "Hey, you know," they would they would uh, pretend to be humble. What they would say is that it kind of reminds me of the Jews when they used to write the name of God. But what it, what they do in this mystery religion is that they would say, "We cannot go to God or our God." But what we'll do is we'll go directly to the angels and let them speak for us, right? And because of that, we're showing humility. We don't want to be in the presence of our God or God. And so what they do is they're expressing this false humility, right? They're too humble to approach God directly. So they use the angels as mediators. It's some of the things that they did in um, these mystery cults. Now, let's look at verse 18 <clears throat> again. Uh, We'll go to the, the second point uh, where it says, going into detail about visions he has seen. Man, I'm really thirsty today. I think all the coffee I had last night finally catching up to me, <laughs> dehydrated me. 
So, what's going on here, okay? So what we see again, that the pagan mystery religion of angel worship was being brought into the church to try and reach God through angel worship or worshiping next to them. We see this, uh, you know, sometimes in the Catholic Church today, they pray to Mary or angels to get, uh, rather than to Christ, right? Rather than praying directly to Jesus, they have these um, people who are in the middle or these angels who are in the middle. So, <clears throat> so again, they would appear humble externally and begin to worship these supposed angels that they would see. Then they would, and here's what they do, they would boast to everyone about their visions or experience they had. They would give details about their supposed experience, okay? We see the same thing in our current charismatic movement, and here's where I want to try not to go down a rabbit trail, okay? We see the same thing in our current charismatic movement. We have these experiences. We share them. We boast about them. We want people to self-glorify us. We want them to glorify us and, you know, have self-glorification, and, you know, yep, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm that Christian, right? I had this experience. I'm close to God. You know, God and I talk. You know, while I'm shaving, he's talking to me, right? Those kinds of things. Have you heard of that before? Um, there is a, a man who claims that that happened to him. Um, but anyways, it's a, it's a modern-day mystery religion. That's what the charismatic movement is today. It's a modern-day mystery religion that has saturated itself in the church. And we see this everywhere. If you go back and study like the Kundalini um, uh, religion and kind of what happens there, you'll see some of the things that happen in our churches today that are actually part of that that cult. You go back and study the, um, like, like I said, the mystery religions, the pagan mystery religions, you'll see where a lot of that stain has come back. And in fact, if you go back and look at history, um, you'll see that 1906, um, these types of things that we see in today's church started here in America, in, in California. And so the, they call it the Pentecostal movement. And then eventually, I think in 1960, it turned into the charismatic movement. But a little over 100 years ago, we wouldn't be talking about this. But it's now crept into the church and has become part of the normal church that we see today. But these things that we see in church, like speaking in tongues, uh, falling on the ground, being slain in the spirit, these things would have never been talked about over 100 plus years ago. And so again... You know, when you come to the scriptures, you know, use proper hermeneutics, you know, look at, at the time and date. These things were implemented, not just with scripture, but you got to take it and test it with time as well. And you can look at, again, like I said, over 100 years ago, these things didn't exist. But Satan, I believe, has come in and recreated this pagan mystery religion and stained the church. And, it's, and you see it. I saw it uh, in some of the other um, churches that I was going to that were historically... Um, non-charismatic, and you see it coming in, and letting people who claim to be apostles in and letting them be deacons in the church. It's just very, very sad. There was no standard in Scripture anymore. So anyways, um, again, I'm going to pull back a little bit. Like I said, today it's a modern-day mystery religion that has saturated the church. People will have visions about something God told them or showed them, talk about the details of it, uh, this enhanced their experience, okay? Uh, like it did here for the pagan mystery folks, it made, like I said earlier, it made them look extra spiritual, right? I remember when I was in the charismatic movement, I wasn't falling on the ground, I wasn't speaking in tongues, I wasn't doing all these things, and I felt something was wrong with me. I said, man, I'm not spiritual like that guy over there or that lady over there. What's going on? 
So I began to question myself, right? And the standard now was my experience. It wasn't the truth of God, okay? I began to trade God's truth for an experience. Rather than um, being full of the Spirit by the study of God's Word, I seeked to be full of the Spirit by a false spiritual, I mean by a false spiritual or emotional experience, okay? So again, be careful with that. If you want any, if you want any more details on that, come by and see me. And uh, I can share with you some of my experiences in that in the past. Also, they will use these visions as authority. Okay, like I mentioned. One thing I've learned is that when someone says they have a vision, they can never prove that it was God himself who actually gave it to them. There's no way that you can prove that. Okay, unless you tell me you felt it or you got goosebumps or, or uh, you felt something, but it's all experience and emotion. Show me biblically through a passage, you know, a chapter, verse, and then we can talk about it, okay? But again, there is no, God does not speak that way today. Um, so again, they will use these visions as authority, and then if you challenge them, then you're kind of the person who's not open-minded. Anyway, so they base their truth on experience instead of using God's word to prove out their experience, right? That's when I learned that, hey, does this experience, is it in the Bible? My, my mentor began to teach me to test all things, to do what the Bereans do, like we always emphasize here in the church. And if my experience didn't match up, then I had to let it go. I had to let go of my experience. And we can't do that because we're, you know, God has created us with um, these emotions, right? And so they're important. But when we use them to create authority, then... We're using it outside of the gift that's been given to us. So anyway, so God no longer speaks to his church through visions. And uh, um, I know that that can be a struggle for some of you. Maybe some of uh, us today, maybe we have a different opinion. But again, take what I said, go back and evaluate it. Don't, don't go on, uh, don't go and uh, make what you've experienced the truth. Make sure that you've taken your experience and test it with the Bible. All right, because if not, that, come, that, that, that root comes back from this mystery pagan religions. So uh, if you need any more, if you want anything to read on that too, I have plenty of books to come, come by and see me. So anyways, so being puffed up for nothing, and this is why. This is exactly why visions mean nothing. It puffs you up, and that's it. That's the only good thing visions are for. It puffs you up. It gives you something to boast about. God spoke to me. Okay, being puffed up for nothing by his fleshly mind. Man, that's very tough. God spoke to me, and here is what he said or showed me. You are now the first-class Christian, right? And the rest of us, we're just second-class Christians, right? We're nobody. Man, God is using you. He's not using me, but that is not true, okay? And the rest of us are not until one day we experience this type of worship or this type of experience. Um, again, so visions are only good for puffing you up, right? And then he kind of says here, by his fleshly mind, okay? So when you hang around the current charismatic people, there is always a one-up. If you notice this, I mean, I did when I was in it. You're talking with people, and then there's always, man, I, I, I experienced this. Oh, but I did this. Oh, yeah, I did that. Well, so-and-so over there, they did this. And there's always this, like you're, you're just looking for this, um, like this, I don't know, over-exaggerated experience or this uh, something to 
to seem that, uh, I don't know, you're holy or that there's somebody within your church is holy. Well, that guy in my church, man, he, he resurrected the dead. Or they resurrected a baby this weekend back over here uh, after it died. And no, that's, that's not true. Uh, they seek their own worship, okay? That's what they're doing. They want to be worshiped, okay? They have replaced themselves with the angels, okay? This is the difference between the mystery religions and today. They've replaced themselves with the angels in this text. So that's interesting. Man has taken the place of the angels in the mystery religions. Okay, but Paul says it's for nothing. It's all of the mind, okay? It's all fleshly. It's not of God. It comes from our carnal mind. That's tough, but the truth is needed for Paul's point. Now, if someone comes up to you and says, thus says the Lord, you can say, no, thus says the carnal mind. <laughs> That's, that was a, it wasn't a joke, but it was, right? I came up with that last night so as I was studying. <laughs> if someone comes up to you, thus says the Lord, say, no, thus says the carnal mind, right? Um, uh, I, I told somebody that, well, not that specifically, but I told them the word lying. They told me God had a message for me, and I, just, I told the lady with respect, I said, no, you're lying. I said, it's not true. And uh, we had a, a soft conversation, but I think it caught her by surprise. She never had anybody do that to her, nor had I ever done that to anybody. But I think I'm no longer going to sit on the sidelines. And I think, uh, you know, as long as we can approach people and have good conversations without, um, you know, being rude or, or um, what do you call, uh, making less of Christ. As long as he is kept here and I remember who he is and who I am in Christ, I think we can approach and have good conversations you know, like the Bereans did. Hey, well, let me go back and check it out. But I'm not going to initiate any experience with you until I go back and study it. And I challenge you to do the same thing. So anyways, like we said about the Jews' dietary laws, festivals, and Sabbaths, they are no longer needed to tabernacle with God. Okay, we talked about that last week. So Paul is saying the same thing here. They cannot tabernacle with God by their old pagan ways. Their self-humility, their self-righteousness, their worship of angels, their visions mean nothing unless they are seeking to puff themselves up. You know, they'll get their glory now, but that's it. What Paul is saying is that we need nothing else from the two cultures, okay? We need nothing else from both the cultures. We are now complete in Christ. We don't need nothing from the Gentiles or the pagans, and we don't need nothing from Judaism. We are now one in Christ. All we need is Christ. We are complete in Christ. We need to be filled with Christ. Again, which is the text. What is it? To Colossians 2 8. It says, uh, I'm sorry, it's 2 10. And in him you have been filled. And in him you have been complete, some of your texts say. And that's all that we need. Um, <clears throat> so, like I mentioned there, so remember verse 9 Christ is the temple for the Godhead. And in verse 10, we are the temple of Christ. We need no laws or experiences to complete who we are in Christ or to draw closer to him. Um, <clears throat> what we need to do. What we need to be doing is get rid of, again, of our rules, our experiences, and get back into the Word of God to truly experience His grace, His mercy, His love, His kindness, His holiness, His fullness. We cannot grow in Christ if we don't know His Word. Okay? That's what we need. We don't need anything else. We are sufficient in Christ. We don't need experience, 
and we don't need visions. We don't need none of that. If it's outside of Christ, get rid of it. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Okay? Uh, if you want to experience God's voice, let me tell you how to do it. You know, his whispering. You want to hear God whisper to you? Um, one scholarly gentleman said to me last night, <laughs> he said that if you want to hear the voice of God, then open up the Bible and read it out loud. Did you hear that? You thought I was going to get crazy on you, huh? <laughs> Almost getting ready to tackle me. <laughs> but if you want to hear the voice of God, open up the Bible and read it out loud. He'll talk to you, okay? So don't seek after these, uh, these other extra experiences. They mean nothing. They don't have the ability to hold on to Christ, which is the head. So let's just say you did have an experience. That what needs to be done needs to be written down, put in the, in, into God's word, another chapter, another verse of a different book, whatever it is, and then it becomes the authority. But if it's not, then it means nothing. God's word is complete. Any new message he has is done. Okay? Sorry. I think I did go down that rabbit trail. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm filling in the black lines between my words or the white spaces between my, my words, my notes here. All right, let's go to verse 19. Because they are empty, carnal, and connected to the head, right? That's the point here in this next section. Verse 19 says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So let's take a look at, And not holding fast to the head. Here the Lord Jesus is spoken of as the head of the body, which we all know that, right? Christ is the head, okay? We are the body. We are to live our lives with this understanding, uh, with understanding uh, that always, that we need to always depend on him for all our needs, and, uh, and that draws us to all for his glory. That draws us to do all for his glory, okay? When we do that, we are glorifying him. Uh, this section of the text also emphasizes the necessity for a moment-by-moment dependence on the Lord. When we do the result, when we do, the result will be extraordinary. We will then be able to see other members of um, the body moving in union with us. I think Owen mentioned this this morning. We're uh, getting together to pray, and he was talking about how he had a, he, he stepped back and kind of watched where everybody was and what they were doing at the current moment. Some were preparing for the message. Some were uh, witnessing to some uh, another group, and another uh, were uh, witnessing to or giving a, a message in a funeral and witnessing to some people afterward answering questions. And so here, when when we do the results, it will be extraordinary. We will then be able to see other members of the body move in union with us just like the different branches of our earthly body, right? I can be walking, you can see my legs moving, my arms moving, all at the same time, got one head, but it's all moving together, and you can see it working, right? The verse thing goes on to say, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The various parts of the human body are connected by joints and ligaments. The body, in turn, is joined to the head, Right? The body looks at the head for guidance and direction. That is just the thought the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here, and the same thing Owen mentioned this morning. The members of Christ's body on earth should find all their satisfaction and sufficiency in Christ and not be lured away by the convincing arguments of these false teachers. 
okay? We see this same language in Ephesians 4. If you get a chance, let's go to hold your spot there because we're going to compare something real quick. Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, I mean, Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16. We see the same type of uh, language here. And here he's challenging us. We are in Christ as well. But speaking the truth in love, verse 15 and 16, he says, We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now hold your spot there. You, know, you got Colossians and you got Ephesians right there with you. Now back up a couple of chapters in Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 2. <clears throat> so the verse in Colossians that we're reviewing right now is, uh, is pretty much here in Ephesians as well. You kind of see it, right? But it's developed more in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, which describes the temple. 2.21 says, In whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, a holy temple in the Lord. So we are in Christ. We are the holy temple, and the purpose of the body is to build this holy temple, right? We are joined together as one. We function differently, but we're all coming together to build one temple, which is in Christ, representing Christ. So, so again, <clears throat> church, we need nothing else but Christ crucified. That's all we need is Christ crucified, okay? Now, you might, you know, you might say, well, you need your sin so he could be crucified. Okay, maybe so. But at the end of the day, if Christ didn't come to be crucified, your sin meant nothing, so you have to have Christ no matter what. Colossians 2.10, again, want to emphasize, and in him you have been filled or in him you have been completed. Okay, Church, we like the Colossians need nothing else besides Christ and his uh, forgiving work to help us draw closer to him. That's all we need. We don't need, to, again, we don't need to obey any laborious laws or false experiences or visions to draw us closer to God. Remember, God tabernacles in us through Christ. No extra yoke is needed. Okay, nothing else is needed. We are sufficient in Christ. If I live in a box out in the street, and that's what God wanted, but I, was, I would learn to be content because all I need is Christ. That's it. Okay, if that's where he has me, that's his will, that's it. Uh, my wife and I and my children, when we lived in Texas, we went through this uh, time of life where um, you know, the Lord gave us a nice little home, and then he also allowed it to be taken away, and we lived in a camping trailer for about two years, but you know what? Those were some of the best times of my life, because we went from a two-story house where I think my kids are alive up there somewhere, so now I hear everything. We had good personal conversations, rekindled our relationship, drew, drew us closer. We fought more. We hugged more. We kissed more. We cried more. All of the above, right? And so, uh, again... You know, we were content. That's what we needed. <clears throat> All right. So, let me find I lost my spot there. So, church, again, like I said, uh, God tabernacles in us through Christ. No extra yoke is needed. So, so, so far, verses 16 and 18 and verse 19, okay, they're based on you know, these are, that's what the therefore is there for because it's referring back to verses 6 through 15. That Christian living is to be grounded only in Christ. Owen talked about this. Therefore, we are not, 
Uh, we are not to be judged and disqualified. Those are the two things that we've hit already. We're not to be judged or disqualified from being first-class Christians because we don't meet the standards of the false teachings or the teachers, okay? You are not, there is no such thing as a first or second-class Christian uh, because of your experiences. All we need is Christ. If you are in Christ, we are all equals. There are no Jews, there are no Gentiles, male, female, nothing. We're all equal in Christ. That's Galatians um, so again, all right, so now let's go to verse 20. He says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees? He's blown away, okay? So the elementary principles of the world, here the Apostle Paul is more than likely referring back to their rituals, their ordinances found in Gnosticism, asceticism, Judaism, and the pagan mystery religions. He's bringing all of them back together, and he's, and he's telling them all. We have recently been uh, you know, discussing here. The elementary principles are the ABCs of the religions. They're taking their basics back into, they're bringing them into the church. In fact, the Galatians struggled with the same thing here. Um, the Galatians fell into the same trap, but with the issue of circumcision. Okay? They allowed that to try to come in. In fact, the Apostle Paul, I think, uh, chewed out Peter a little bit for this. But if we can go look at this, or you can just kind of hang out there, I'll read it. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And you'll see almost the same language. He says, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by nature are not gods. He's like, look, before you were Christians... You were, by nature, right, you, you were slaves to those things that really weren't gods, that you called gods, okay? But now, having known God, or rather having been known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things? Why are you going back to these weak and worthless elemental things to which you want to be enslaved all over again? You just came out of that. You were trapped to that. Now you're wanting to go back to it. Why are you bringing it? Why are you bringing it back? Verse 10, he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Right? That's what we talked about here. And then verse 11, this was really, really interesting to me. He says, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you for nothing. He's like, hmm, I'm thinking that, you know, all that time and work I put into you, Might have meant nothing. And here he says, he says, he is saying you may not be saved. You might not be saved if you're going back to your old ways. He's like, maybe you weren't a Christian to begin with. If you're falling back to your old ways, maybe you weren't, okay? Let's go back to Colossians. It says, if you have died with Christ then, the beginning of that verse, I skipped it on purpose. But he says, if you have died with Christ, they are claiming to be Christians and have confessed the truth of Christ like the Galatians did but Paul says at the beginning of this verse he says if you have died with Christ then why are you reverting back to your old ways or why can't you let them go you claim you have died with Christ but have you truly why as if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees and he goes into verse 21 such as do not handle nor taste nor touch okay this is, in a sense, the practice of asceticism, okay? 
MacArthur says it is one who lives of rigorous self-denial. And uh, in addition to practicing legalism, mysticism, the Colossians' aorist were attempting to gain righteousness through self-denial. That's what MacArthur said. Um, Webster had pretty much the same thing. Went ahead and took MacArthur's. Um, Anyways, so self-denial, right? They were trying to gain righteousness through self-denial. That's what asceticism is, okay? All right, so church, do we need, do we, uh, church, we do not need external works to have union with Christ or be right with him, okay? We don't need anything outside of Christ. No external works. As Paul said here, if you have died with Christ, if you are a true believer, you need, uh, you need nothing else because, in verse 10, again, we go back to Colossians 10, in him you have been filled or in him you have been complete. All right, uh, let's look at verse 22. In a minute, we'll go into some of the asceticism examples. Uh, it's kind of the introduction right there, what that means. Self uh, uh, Righteousness through self-denial, verse 22, says, which deal with everything destined to perish with use, which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men. Okay? Asceticism or self-denial means nothing to God. It is useless because it focuses on things that perish. Okay? True religion is not found in what we eat or drink, but in the living Christ himself. And it's really not a religion. It's, it's a relationship with Christ. Okay? It's a relationship with Christ. And we go on to verse 23, which are matters having to be sure, a word of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Um, Real quick, one commentator, William McDonald says, these practices of man's religion all create a seeming appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion that creates false humility and severity to the body. Self-imposed religion means that these people adopt a form of worship according to their own ideas of what is right. Okay? We will do what we think is right in the eyes of God. That's, that's me. But here, back to McDonald here, he says, Rather than according to God's word, they seem to be religious, religious but it's not true Christianity. Okay? Now, one of the things I want to talk about here in this verse is severe treatment of the body. Um, it refers back again to this asceticism that through self-denial or self-torture, man can achieve a higher state of holiness. Okay? This is found today in Hinduism and other Eastern mystical uh, uh, religions. Um, uh, pursuing, enlighten- pursuing enlightenment, Buddha first practice severe asceticism before recommending a moderate a moderated middle way okay so buddha did some things i think he went like i can't remember how many days without eating but asceticism is one of its most intense okay asceticism in one of its most intense forms can be found in one of the oldest religions is uh, i'm not sure if i'm saying this right but it's jainism okay ascetic life may include uh, nakedness symbolizing non-possession of even clothes, uh, fasting, which we saw here and this here, um, body mortification, penance and other uh, austerities, 
in order to burn away uh, past karma and stop producing new karma. Um, Taoism, historical evidence suggests that the monastic tradition in Taoism practiced asceticism and the the most common ascetic practices included fasting, there it is again, uh, complete sexual abstinence, self-imposed poverty, sleep deprivation, and secluding oneself in the wilderness. Okay, now, uh, now all, not all asceticism is bad. Okay, so I know that I can't even say it right, can't even pronounce it, but it's not all bad. Okay, one of the good ways of or to use asceticism that I think we all do today, if you're a believer, it says the Bible tells us that we are to deny ourselves in Christ. So self denial is okay, right? But if you're doing it for outwardly works, you know, it's not good. And then if we look at nine, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So asceticism isn't a bad thing. I think we all have this type of form, some more mild than others. Let me give you some more examples of that. There are more, uh, especially those things that we call the gray areas in Christianity, Okay, self-denial isn't always a bad thing for Christians. So, for example, I know Christians who say they don't go to movies, and that's okay. I have no issues with that. Uh, I have Christians who don't go to dances. I have Christians who don't drink. I have Christian friends that whatever, right, whatever you, you say, I probably know somebody, right? I have friends, Christian friends, who don't wear makeup, who don't wear certain types of clothes. clothes. So, again, all these are types of um, asceticism. But... If you're doing it to gain self-glorification or gain the favor of God, that's when it becomes sin. That's when it's not right, okay? That's when it's not right. So again, be careful, right? Be careful that you're not placing somebody into legalism because they're not living the way you think they need to be living, okay? And that's hard to do, right? I think I find myself sometimes getting caught in that trap. I think I sometimes approach it and say, man, why did they do that? Don't they know what Christ did on the cross for them? Don't they value their testimony? Don't they value the price of the cross? I say, man, I struggle with that sometimes. Why do they put themselves in that position? Why don't they sacrifice a lifestyle for the glory of Christ? And some may look at me and say the same thing. Ray, why do you go to the farmer's market? That's evil. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So church, we need to now live to the glory of God. We do what we do not, I mean, we do what we do, not out of fear of punishment, but rather we need to do it out of love to the one who gave himself for us, okay? Do what you do for that. Don't worry about what anybody else says. Do it for that reason, but don't do it to try to gain favor. So again, Colossians 2.10, it reminds us, we must hold fast to Christ in him who whom we have been made complete or filled, okay? So again, um, we are complete in Christ and that's all we need. We don't need no laws. We don't need uh, visions. We don't need anything. We are now complete in Christ and everything we need is in us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Um, Lord, I just apologize a little bit. I feel like I struggled today. don't know what it was, but um, I just pray that it was clear and uh, understandable, and God, I just want to thank you, Lord, that that you 
You fulfill all these things. We need nothing, Lord. We can trust you, Lord. You tell us here um, we don't need to, to seek things in the world, Lord. We need to seek after you. Um, Lord, I know that uh, sometimes, Lord, we get distracted, we get derailed, Lord, but I pray that if there's anyone here today, Lord, that needs to just reevaluate themselves. Maybe they're trusting in something they shouldn't, Lord, or in somebody they shouldn't. I pray, Lord, that they get back on track and begin to trust in you, Lord, so they can see um, your work, Lord, and how you can be glorified through them just trusting in you, Lord. I know we're human, Lord. We're going to mess up, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. If there's anybody here today, Lord, who doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that they'll consider what you've done on the cross for us, that, Lord, you are holy as we've been teaching the children. We have broken your law, and, God, we need you because the, the wages of sin is death. Right, we've we've broken the law. We've broken um, just uh, the law that you've given us, and because of that, Lord, our payment is death. And that's why we all die today. Everyone else will die today because what you have said is true. The payment of sin is death, and we will all die because we all have sinned. But because of that, Lord, you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us and take our place for the punishment of sin. And Lord, I just pray that we just truly evaluate this, and then on the third day. He was buried, Lord, and on the third day he resurrected. And God, I just ask that you help us, Lord, to evaluate this and accept this as truth so that we can be all filled uh, with Christ, the fullness of Christ, Lord. And that's all we need in this world today. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.